Welcome back to the podcast. This is Charlotte, creative and technical director here at Evidence for Faith. And today I'm actually going to do something a little unusual, which is I'm going to encourage you guys to go watch this episode on our YouTube channel or on our website. The YouTube video is actually embedded on there because this session today is Evidence Through History Archaeology and Michael is going to be showing a whole lot of artifacts. So if you want to go actually see the photos or just see the video of him showing some of these artifacts, I highly, you, I highly encourage you to go um, check out the website, check out the YouTube channel, and actually you can find these links. I'll have them in the description where you can just click to go see the whole article about this particular session or you can also go to the website and under courses you'll find links to our youtube channel and this particular session today so um i'm gonna put in my little ad spot as always we are still going to israel in 2023 so that will be in january so if you're interested in going there with us and seeing some of these biblical archaeological sites where biblical history happened um michael and the wonderful dr stephen notley will be team teaching on this trip and we'll be able to answer some of maybe your burning questions or any questions you may have about the different sites we go to, about the Bible, how things happen, who these characters were, it's going to be a really fun trip. So you can go check that out at evansforfaith.org 2023 Israel, or you can click on the events tab, or you can also check out the links in the description. Actually, go ahead and read that description. I put a lot of interesting stuff in there. So <laughs> as always, this program is supported by donors just like you. If you'd like to help support this program and keep it free, you can become a donor at evidenceforfaith.org give. That's evidence number fourth, number four faith.org slash give and that's the end of my script so now you can here is michael in <laughs> evidence through history archaeology session five of give me a reason to believe Welcome to Evidence for Faith. So glad you're joining me today as we're continuing in our series, Give Me a Reason to Believe. Again, this is a series that uh, we just got done doing on our annual marine biology trip that we do at Easter time every year. Hopefully you guys will come with us sometime on this trip because it's an extremely amazing thing. It's open for high school age and up and takes place around Easter time. But on this trip this year, what we did is we, we took different subjects as we've been doing, and this is the fifth installment on this series of six on Give Me a Reason to Believe. Now, one of the pillars of evidence for faith is history. Using history, archaeology, to show that the Bible is real. And this is what this lesson is. Though I've written a couple of books, you can get them on Amazon. Um, the Stones Bear Witness, uh, more Stones Bear Witness. Can you catch a, get a more catchy tune than that? I mean, wow. Yeah, real or original in titles here, I know. But anyway, and we are writing right now a third book to accompany this, I guess, even more Stones Bear Witness. But anyway, as we continue doing this series, this is an amazing topic. Um, it's very dear to my heart. That's why we do trips to Israel. If you are interested, come with me in January of 2023. We're heading to Israel uh, in company with Dr. Stephen Notley, and we're going to be seeing some of these things, uh, the real McCoy, some places and stuff, as we go to Israel. And I hope you'll join us for that. You can go to our website and get information on that, but I want you to join up and come with us. It's going to be a time where you will never look at your Bible the same way as you go there. But what we're looking at today are some little what I call popcorn things of archaeology. And did you know that there has never been one provable archaeological discovery that disproves the Bible? Not one. Yet there have been tens of thousands of discoveries that support the Bible, 
Most people are totally unaware of that, but that is absolute truth on this. There are so many things, and I've come across so many people over the years that say, well, I can't believe in the Bible. Why? Because science has disproved the Bible. And I'm like, have you ever heard of the science of archaeology? I mean, do you know that there's never been one provable discovery that goes against the Bible, yet there's tens of thousands that support the Bible. I mean, this is amazing, and archaeology is a science. It truly is. I mean, duh, it's an analogy, right? But it it is um, a science. It, it only goes back to about the same time as the age of um, the study of genetics. Uh, Gregor Mendel with genetics. Well, we have archaeology. William Ramsey goes with archaeology. It's only been around since the 1800s, so it's a newer science, and that's why they keep finding so many new discoveries every single time they go out there digging in the Middle East and stuff. Um, they, they keep finding things that support the Bible. But what we're going to do today is we're going to look at some of these discoveries, uh, when they were made, and, and just briefly just give you a little tidbit. If you want more information on these, like I say, you can go to the books that I wrote, um, and or you can even download information off the internet. Matter of fact, my books are available in Kindle. You can even pull them out that way if you have an iPad or something, you want to read them um, on, on that. And we're going to take a look at some of these discoveries. The first one I want to do, and we will show you some of these right here because some of them we have replica artifacts here in our studio. But um, we're going to look at this first one here. Don't have an artifact uh, copy of this one. But this was found back in 1993 at a place called Tel Dan. Now that's in northern Israel, right up at the borders. Matter of fact, it's right at the Lebanon-Syria border. You're up in the very top of the country is where Tel Dan is. And it's a very, very old city going back before the time of Abraham. And there was a discovery that was made there was just absolutely amazing to the academic world. Let me tell you a short little story to begin with as we get into this. You see, back in the early 90s, when I was teaching in Illinois, we had a club at our school, as many schools did in the area, and was called Saturday Scholars. Saturday Scholars, we would get together on Saturday morning, duh, and we would get, then go um, to a place up in Chicago area, and we would sit and listen to lectures by scientists, mathematicians, physicists, et cetera, et cetera, doctors, all different types of people, um, and different disciplines of science and of the natural sciences. Well, uh, one of the trips we took was uh, to listen to a guy talk on archaeology of the Bible. And well, just archaeology in general wasn't of the Bible, but it happened to be because he's an expert on the Philistines. And this guy came, and there's about, there's over a thousand students that would come to this, and we would get together on Saturday morning. And as you would go in, as we were all excited, I had one student in particular who was so excited about this because he wanted to go into archaeology. So having an archaeologist be our presenter on this one Saturday uh, was was amazing uh, to him. And so we. We had him and he came in and they allow you in this club that everybody gets an issue to three by five card. You could write down questions. And I wrote down a question on this. And my question during the, the lecture that was going on was, do we know the exact location of King David's tomb? Now this is in 1992. And at that point it was still, you know, no one really knew it for, for instance, and if where David's tomb was. So I asked this guy, I figure well, he's studying the Philistines, he might know. So I put it in there. Well, later on in the morning, after we all had a break together, he came back out and he actually asked uh, or pulled out my question. And he read my question, do we know the exact location of King David's tomb? And what was, well, long story short, he asked me to, he asked of all the people in the audience who wrote the question, 
Well, my students who were with me knew that I wrote this question, and so they're making my arms go up. And the thing is, we're sitting on the front row, and it was so embarrassing. Um, they're, they're trying to get me to raise my arm, and I'm trying to, like, just be cool about it. Shh, guys, don't, don't, don't. We're right in the front row. Well, he couldn't miss the commotion right in front of him, and he said, sir, are you the person who wrote this question? And I said, yes, I am. And he said, basically, he asked me, he says, can I ask you a couple of questions? Are you one of these born-again Christians? Yeah. He said, so you believe that the Bible is inerrant, that there's no errors in the Bible? And I said, the original autographs coming from God, I believe, are, are uh, absolutely perfect, true. And he says, well, I hate to be the one to tell you, there was never was a King David. David never existed. Goliath never existed. This is all just myth. Uh, there's no archaeological evidence that supports this whatsoever, either one of them, David or Goliath. David, he said, we think might have just been a nomad or a group of people that called themselves David. He says, there's no evidence whatsoever in archaeology that David ever existed. Now, I told you that story um, to tell you what happened the very next year. That guy was so popular in our club that he was invited back uh, the next year. And so we came back. I didn't sit in the front row this time. I sat in the back. But anyway, he came out on stage, and the first thing he said, this is in 1993, and he said, we have just experienced a great discovery in archaeology that's changing everything we thought. He says we now have evidence that King David, who is recorded in the Bible, actually lived. And then we have this artifact that was shown. This was discovered at Tel Dan in 1993, and it's a, a monument that had been broken down and then been reused as the stones to build a wall. But the thing is, it actually has house of david if you're looking at the artifact closely you'll see over on the right side highlighted in blue um, and it says Biet david and that means the house of david david the king david and scholars now look at this and they say holy cow david was a real person it's funny because in 1993 kenneth kitchen another archaeologist studying egyptology believes he found uh, and is published documentation that David is actually mentioned, David of the Bible, is mentioned at the Temple of Karnak. And then in the Moabite uh, area in Jordan, they found a stella, um, a monument that again seems to be talking about David. It, it mentions David. And so people are now in the uh, scholastic community are agreeing David did exist. There's archaeological evidence. And I'm sitting here like, I told you so, you know, I mean, yeah, it's really true that King David was a real person. And, well, since we just mentioned David and Goliath, well, let me tell you about another discovery. It happened in 2005. In 2005, in the city of Gath, now that's one of the five major Philistine cities from the Old Testament. It's in uh, the area today called the Gaza Strip, and the city of Gath was a Philistine city. Now, as they've been digging in there, archaeologists found something in 2005 that was fascinating and, again, shocked the world. Uh, they found this broken piece of pottery. Probably it was a water pot, um, a large canister made out of clay of, for water. And um, that would, um, it was found in the city of Gath. And it was, uh, can be dated. When you look at pottery, um, you can tell a lot uh, by the type of pottery, how the grains of, the, of the, the clay were put together, the thickness of it. You can get some ideas on the age. If there's writing or artwork on it, that gives you a style, too, that tells you roughly the age. This piece of pottery was dated to be right around 1050 B.C., 
is what scholars believe this thing is. But it's it's just not that, that they found a broken pot, because we find this all over in Israel. It's what was written on it. Because what is inscribed on here, the letters that you see here, are actually a name. And it's the name of Goliath. Now think for a second. According to the Bible, Goliath, who was this very, very tall person who fought David, was killed by David, the Bible tells us that he lived in the city of Gath. Where was this found? City of Gath. The Bible says that he would have lived around 1050 BC, give or take a you know a couple of decades there, of course. When does this thing date back to? 1050 BC. Now, is this the, uh, the, the Goliath of the Bible? We have no idea. The discoverer of it does not believe that this is the biblical character because he doesn't believe in the Bible. But what he does say is this proves that at the time of the biblical character of Goliath, there were people named Goliath living in Gath at that time. Well, some scholars say this is probably referring to the Goliath. Others are saying, no, it's probably Goliath was a common name like Smith and Jones. But in any case, what we have is substantiating the Bible, is supporting the Bible, because it shows us that there was a Goliath living at the time of David in the city of Gath, just like what we see there. So that is a major discovery that we come across. Now, let's move to another one. Staying like somewhat in the Old Testament, let me show you another discovery that is fascinating. This was discovered in 1967, um, and over in present-day Jordan, they were digging around and they found a piece of plaster that had been on a wall of some house or some building, some type of structure. And on this, as you can see, there's a lot of writing on this. This is a replica of it. Of course, it's the originals in a museum. But as you can see, there's a lot of writing on this that has survived antiquity. Now, if you were to sit and, and read this, and you can pull this up and you can actually read um, where scholars have translated it into English, it says literally right on here, and again, this was discovered in 1967, but it says on here, the sayings of Balaam, son of Beor, the man who was a seer of the gods. Now, if you go to the book of Numbers, chapter 20 through to chapter 24, you're going to come across how King Balak of Moab consulted a guy by the name of Balaam, who lived um, at that time period of the Exodus, uh, and he also was a seer of the gods. It even says in the Bible that his, his dad was named Beor, which is exactly what this says. Thus, this plaque that we have with this Balaam's inscription on it supports the biblical story. Not only does it mention him by name, it mentions his dad's name, and it even gives the definition of what his occupation was. He was a seer of the gods, which is exactly what the Bible calls him also. Fascinating thing. We keep making such amazing discoveries dealing with archaeology. Let me show you another one that was discovered. Um, this one was found in um, Israel. And this is an amazing one. Um, it's a seal, a, a pressed, um, a small little opal is what it is. It's original. The um, uh, item is a small little opal that's been hand carved. That was not done by erosion through weathering over millions of years. This is actually hand carved and there's different images on here. And it's an opal and it has a person's name on it. The name that appears on here is Yezebel. And Yezebel, we have letters on this thing showing the actual name of the person, Yezebel. Now there's no vowels in ancient Hebrew, but that's the name. We also can see on here that there is a winged sphinx that
that sits at the top of this. This means a winged sphinx, not like a, a lion, Egyptian one, that is Phoenician. That is a symbol of Phoenician royalty, this winged feet, uh, sphinx that we see at the top here. And so that shows that this person who owned this little opal was a Phoenician, and not just a, any Phoenician, a princess is what this is showing. Underneath the winged sphinx, there is a large beetle with wings on it also. Now, this is actually a common symbol often used in Israel for royalty. Kings often had this symbol that they used, this winged beetle. It was just a common thing that was used in a period of time in Iron Age 2, showing that these, uh, these people, Iron Age 1 and Iron Age 2, showing that these people are royalty. So this is a royal person again. Um, it also has two cobras that are on it. Again, symbol of royalty. There's a lotus flower at the bottom down at the very bottom down here is a curved structure. That is a lotus flower, which again is showing that this is a, um, a royal princess is what this is. So, and when you see the name on here, Jezebel, well, there's, <laughs> we pretty much know who this was. And the original is a real, this is uh, right here, what I've been showing you. This here is actually a replica and it's enlarged quite a bit because you can see it compared to like um, my, my fingers and my hands getting the size of this thing. It's, this is quite enlarged. The original is just a small, small little, um, little tiny opal that's been carved. The top of it is damaged and you could see like up here, part of it is, uh, is missing on the original where a screw would have been mounted for her to wear it around her neck. Now what it is, it's a legal symbol for making an official seal. Back in ancient times, they would take a document and they would put seals on it in clay. They would put sealed, soft seal here of clay, and then they would take like a ring or this piece of jewelry and press into there as they would make documents and letters and official things. And that's what this was for. And so that's what this is. Now, the thing is, it shows the name Jezebel, but it also says that this is a princess, that this is a ruler. Well, this is Queen Jezebel. It fits the time frame of Queen Jezebel in the Bible. And the Bible tells us that she was from Phoenicia. There's Phoenician symbols here. She was a ruler also of Israel. There's a symbol for that too. But like I say, it actually has her name on it. It's a fascinating discovery that we have. Queen Jezebel actually existed just like the Bible says. And if you recall, she was married to a guy named King Ahab, an Israelite. And in a private collection, there is, was found um, a couple of decades back, they found a ring that actually has some Hebrew writing on it, and it actually has King Ahab's name on it. So we know that Queen Jezebel and King Ahab really were people. They really did live, and this is what they used to make documentations. They would state something, put it in clay, and then stamp it with their rings or the signet, and there you go. That's how these things are. This is an amazing discovery. And since we're on these little signet things, uh, how to make a, a seal, let me show you another one. They have actually found a few of these. This one here is of King Hezekiah. Now, King Hezekiah was a good king, one of the really good kings of the, of the land of Judah. 
And this one is a clay bulla. Kings not just always use metal or they used uh, um, like opals and gems and stuff. These are called bulla. And bulla were the, the seals that they would use and stamp on. As I say, looking at some of these, you can see how a letter would be sent and they would put clay. And then the bulla, a little clay piece or piece of jewelry or whatever, would be pressed into this, making the official seal. This one here actually has, you'll notice on it, has a winged beetle right on the thing and there's a winged beetle in here and there's also writing in Hebrew. The writing in Hebrew is inscribed and it says King Hezekiah son of Ahaz which is exactly who the Bible says was his father and it says King of Judah. That is an amazing discovery and they have found many of these. Um, another one was just discovered just not even five years ago just over by the Temple Mount area. So finding these things is an amazing discovery. Now let me show you another one that was just recently discovered right by a, the bulla of King Hezekiah. They found another one um, with these things and another bulla. Now this one's not a king but this one is a bulla that shows um, uh, no symbols on it. It's not royalty, so you're not going to see a winged beetle or anything. But what it does, it has reading on it. And the discoverer of this, Dr. Mazar, who just recently died about a year ago, um, fascinating, one of the greatest archaeologists of all of Israel has ever produced, um, reads on here, belonging to Isaiah Navi. Um, Navi is the word, it's missing one letter to be the complete word for prophet. So it's minus one missing letter because you can see it's damaged. It's been broken. But it does appear, and Dr. Mazar says there's no question in her mind about this and many other scholars, um, that this is the Isaiah of the Bible, the one who is the prophet, who lived at the same time as King Hezekiah. And it's, in fact, when they found this one, just three meters away was one that they found of King Hezekiah. We know from the Bible they lived at the same time and they were close friends and so we actually have what appears to be this bulla of the prophet of Isaiah right out of the Bible. Um, let's take a look at another bulla. This one here is going to be of King Manasseh. Now this is the son of Hezekiah. He was not a really good king at least in the start. He actually is the one who probably killed the prophet Isaiah. But again, as we look at his bulla, you'll see, now this one is, uh, my copy has been damaged and it's been broken, but you can still sort of push these together and you can sort of make out that there's a winged bulla in here. Um, this this bulla is winged, which is the symbol that you see for uh, royalty, but it actually has the name Manasseh, king of Judah. Um, and it fits the time frame of everything being found here. And another one, that um, another bulla. I mean, they have found hundreds and hundreds of bulla. As far as I'm aware, at least 80 biblical characters have been discovered. Bullas with biblical names right on them, straight out of the Bible, dating back to the time period these people lived. You see, these guys really did live, folks. And the thing is, this one, this one is so cool because this one is a character named Baruch. Baruch. You might be saying, who in the world is Baruch? He's frequently mentioned in the book of Jeremiah and also in Lamentation. The thing is, he was a scribe who wrote when Jeremiah dictated. He was actually writing the letter of Jeremiah, and he wrote these things down. Um, being a scribe, no doubt, he's the person who made the clay bulla. 
because that's what one of the job scribes did. And what is most fascinating about the original, which is sitting in a museum today, when you turn this over, when they first discovered this and cleaned up the dirt and stuff off it, they found a thumbprint on the back. So when this thing was made of soft clay, his thumbprint was, impre um, was impressed on it. And then as it was baked to make it hard, we have his thumbprint that is on there. That, did you know that we have a, a biblical fingerprint? Of a, of a character first straight out of the Bible in the book of Jeremiah. And it dates and everything perfectly to the time of King or of, of Jeremiah, um, right about the time of uh, King Nebuchadnezzar from the Bible. Let me show you another fascinating discovery that was made. Now, this is a burial plaque, a burial plaque for a king who's mentioned here, and it's King Uzziah. Now, the reason this plaque is so unique, the Bible says that Uzziah, though he was a good king, got a little prideful in his life and went into the temple to offer incense at the temple. Something no king was allowed to do was only the job of priests to do this. But he felt so confident in his relation with God, he thought he could go in the temple himself and give um, incense, burn incense for the Lord. Um, which would be the prayers going up, and he decided to do it himself. Well, the Bible tells us when he went inside, the priests were alarmed at this because he's breaking God's law. No matter who he is, his pride had gotten in a way, and they got him out of there because all of a sudden, as he's standing in there, he was struck by leprosy. So he spent the rest of his life as a leper. And because he's a leper, he can't be buried in the royal burial ground, the royal cemetery, because he's unclean as being a leper. Well, that's the story of him. Well, it was discovered, this was discovered when the Romans had destroyed Jerusalem and were rebuilding Jerusalem, they came across a tomb and this plaque was on the tomb. And this plaque actually is a warning stating that this is the tomb of Uzziah, King Uzziah, and it's not to be opened because he is unclean which fits the biblical record. We have this. And so in 132 AD, this was discovered and it has been passed down through time. Archaeologists found it not too long ago, um, but there's, um, this thing was discovered first by the Romans as they were sacking the tombs and cutting out stones to rebuild Jerusalem into a, a new Roman city after, this is when Hadrian was emperor, and um, they recalled this, uh, renamed the city from Jerusalem to Alia Capitolina. And so they were sacking tombs and cutting out tombs and stones and stuff to do this, and this was discovered. So that's a famous king, and speaking of famous kings, well, we can go straight to Nebuchadnezzar. An artifact, I don't have this one, but um, we have photographs of this that I have taken from being in Israel. This is Nebuchadnezzar's cylinder. Now, Nebuchadnezzar's cylinder is a cylinder, and maybe you've seen some of our other broadcasts and videos and stuff that we've made. Many times in the Assyrians and also the Chaldeans, they would write things in in clay, put books together in clay and stuff, and they would write in this. Then it would roll out on plaster, or they could roll it out on soft clay, and you had a copy of the book is how they did this. Um, this is ceramic. It's a ceramic cylinder, and it actually has the name on here, King Nebuchadnezzar II. And it's actually what's written in here on this thing is all about his ascending the throne. And not just that, his rebuilding of Babylon, making it into a massive city, which is described in the Bible in 2 Kings chapter 24. You come across this. So this is evidence showing this guy really did live and that he really did build up uh, the city of Babylon and stuff, and it's all written here, and this was discovered, and it's, again, adding evidence to the Bible that the Bible is true. Um, let's talk about another king.
This is a depiction of King Jehu. It's from a very large monument. I took this picture um, of this monument, just a section, because there's a lot of history on this thing. It's a very tall, very, very tall piece. And uh, this is showing King uh, the Assyrian king, King Shalemenzer III. Now, in the Bible, in the book of 2 Kings, it talks about this king of Assyria and how King Jehu um, was uh, trying to make peace with this guy. And what this is on this monument, actually, you'll see on this monument a king sitting on a throne and another person at, um, at his feet. And there's a person standing there kissing his feet, bowing in homage and kissing the foot of someone. And that's a form of worship. Bowing down to do this was to worship and, and be subordinate to the person there. And we know that King Jehu of Israel did this. And it's talked about in 2 Kings chapter 10. But this was found in the land of Assyria, present-day Iraq. And it shows the story of what's taking place in the Bible was written by the Assyrians. They thought this was so important that they actually made a, a monument to this showing King Jehu himself, and it actually has his name there, King Jehu actually bowing in submission to Shalemanzer III. Wow, is that cool. Also about this time in the Assyrian Empire, there was a good king. As we already mentioned, King Hezekiah. Hezekiah did something fascinating. He knew the Assyrians were coming. They had conquered the northern kingdom of Israel. They were now coming after his kingdom of Judah. So he decided... Um, Jerusalem was in danger because the water system for Jerusalem sat outside the city walls. That's one reason Jerusalem was conquered like 29 times in its history. Uh, you have your water system outside the city wall, you got a problem when your city's under siege. So King Hezekiah says in the Bible said, why should we allow the Assyrians to come here and take water outside the city of Jerusalem? So what he did, the Gihon Spring, which fed through an artesian system, fresh water into the city of Jerusalem, he decided to build a underground tunnel to bring water from that underground artesian system into the city of Jerusalem. This thing's like a quarter of a mile long, this tunnel cut through solid rock. At some points, it's over 150 feet underground, and it constantly goes down at a, at a, a very, very slight angle to let water just slowly seep down, and it emptied at a pool at the bottom of the city of David, Pool of Siloam. So the water flowed there. Today, this is a tourist attraction. It was discovered in the mid-1800s, and when they dug out the sand and stuff that accumulated there over the years, it's now able, you are now able to walk through there. There's no lights. When I lead tours to Israel, I take people through here, though the water varies in depth by the seasons, and water's sort of cold. Um, artesian system coming up out of the earth, but it's fresh water still flows today, and you can walk through this channel. In some cases, both my shoulders are touching both sides, and when you first come in, you sort of have to uh, scrunch down a little bit um, but by the end, it's pretty high, but you can still see the X points uh, and the tools that were used, the markings on the walls. What is most amazing about this structure is how it was built, that they started at the Pool of Siloam and started building from there, and they started at the, um, the Gihon Spring, and so they were both going, they were digging parties going underground, no GPS, no computers to do this, and they're working underground, like 150 feet at some points, and they're coming and they actually met together. 
And Hezekiah even had a plaque there right where they joined saying this was the meeting point between the two. And today, like I say, it's a tourist uh, attraction. There's no lights in there. If you're claustrophobic, you'll go nuts. But you bring a flashlight through here. It is so cool to walk through this piece of history that Hezekiah made. And the thing is, it is described also in the Bible. Um, it's like I say, uh, it's over a quarter of a mile long, almost a third of a mile long. And um, this was to keep the water out of King Nebuchadnezzar when he came, that the people in the city of Jerusalem would still have water. Phenomenal discovery. Here's another one let me show you that's people, some, some people who will know um, the, the story of the crucifixion about Pilate. Pilate's ring. This is Pilate's signet ring. Again, this would be used for sealing documents and stuff into plaster or clay. This was discovered originally in 1969 um, at Herodium. I believe we have on our video sites and stuff a lesson specifically on this ring. So if you want more information, you can go to that. I'm just going to show you a couple little things here with this. But this was a major discovery in 1969, though no one knew what it was. It was put in storage until 2018. 2018, they pulled this out, they cleaned it up, and then they saw something as they cleaned it up. It actually has writing along the sides, and it has the name Pilato, Pilot. It's actually written right on here. And in the center, there is a symbol of a um, crater, a wine vessel. And it was found at Herodium, which is just outside of Bethlehem. And uh, this is, no one doubts that this is the pilot of the Bible. It fits the time frame and everything of Pilate. Though Pilate would not have wore this because it's not made of gold. It was probably an official um, who, who was working for Pilate in the wine industry at Herodium who owned this thing and was wearing it. And he would stamp things when he would make uh, decisions and selling things or whatever, official documents. He would put this and it's, he's speaking for Pilate. Uh, and this is the same Pilate who sentenced Jesus to death on the cross. It's an amazing discovery. And Pilate inscription, this is not the only thing found with Pilate's name. If you go to Caesarea Maritima, you can see a copy. The photograph I'm showing you right here is a copy of the original, which is in a museum in Jerusalem today. It's called the Pilate inscription. This stone was discovered in 1961 by archaeologists digging at Caesarea Maritima, which was one of the major cities that Herod built um, right on the coast. It was a massive city. Um, that Herod the Great put together. Um, and this was a stone that they believe was probably a documentation to one of the temples that Pilate built for Tiberius Caesar. He and Tiberius Caesar weren't on the best terms, and no doubt he was trying to honor and get on the good side of Tiberius, um, and it has an inscription on here, and in Latin it actually reads uh, Pilate's name and that of Tiberius Caesar. And it's on display, like I say, the, the photograph I'm showing is a copy sitting um, near where it was discovered, and it's sitting there today in the middle of what was Herod's palace today. But this was discovered in Caesarea Maritima. Again, showing evidence that there was a Pontius Pilate, just as the Bible says. It fits the time frame perfectly. Um, and speaking of another famous, um, or shall I say infamous, person of the Bible was Caiaphas. Caiaphas um, was the high priest at the time of Jesus' death, who's responsible for Jesus' death legally because he's the one who went, took Jesus to Pilate to get him crucified. Well, when they were digging um, in Jerusalem back in 1990 on the south side of the city on a hill, they, uh, a bulldozer 
uh, made a fascinating discovery. It cut through the rock and there was a cave underneath. When they went down in 1990 and this discovery and they looked down there, they found that it was a private burial cave. One of the stone boxes at Nashuary um, is this picture here sitting. This is today. The original one is sitting in a museum in Jerusalem. And um, it has taken some tours and stuff around. But this is a bone box if you will, that's what an ossuary is, that when a person is in very Jewish style of the first century, they would take the bones after a year after the person had died, and they would then put them um, in a box and then put the box into a cubby hole so they could use the burial bench again for the family. And when they opened this in 1990, there were still the bones of Caiaphas in there. Um, we know it's Caiaphas's. You might be wondering, well, how do we know it's Caiaphas? Because on one side of this, it actually has his real name. Um, and so that was that. And plus, are there artifacts that were found in there? There's no question. This was the Caiaphas, who was a high priest at the time of Jesus's death. So he was in there. His wife's bones were in this ossuary, and several children were also in there. But there's no question about it. His name's on the box. And so it's fascinating discovery from the 1990s. I mean, did people even know that we have the skeleton of a famous biblical character? It's fascinating. Or talking about fame, let's let's talk about some nice people of the Bible. How about Peter? The house of Peter the Apostle, a disciple of Jesus, who lived at Capernaum. You can read this in all four Gospels. This is where Peter lived. And Jesus actually stayed at his house frequently. Um, today, there is, if you go to Capernaum, which was a small little fishing village right on the Sea of Galilee, if you go there today, um, there is a huge, looks like a flying saucer actually, sitting above the structure that you're seeing in the picture right now. Um, it's a huge structure with a glass floor. It's a church. But this octagon-shaped thing is actually the house of Peter. There's many, many archeological things that fit this story besides writings, artifacts that were discovered there. Again, you can read about this in um, The Stones Bear Witness if you want more information on it. We'll probably do a video on this uh, in the upcoming season and stuff. But this was a major discovery because this is a house dating back to the time of the first century AD, the house of Peter. And it fits with early church writings and stuff, and everything about this house, we know that this house was built in into a church. It was one of the first churches outside of Jerusalem. And this church, that's why the octagon shape. The Byzantines built often octagon-shaped buildings for a church. This has that type of shape to it. But as I say, there's artifacts and stuff that were found in there. It was plastered, um, things that you just wouldn't see with a normal fisherman. But fascinating is if you go in the church, you can look at the glass floor standing on the side, look down, you can see the guest room. No doubt this is where Jesus actually stayed there. Phenomenal thing. Another discovery that we have come across um, is called the Ipure Papyrus. This is actually one of the most popular studies that are on our website. Um, I have a whole lesson just on this. You can download the thing for free. This is getting more hits than just about anything else we've ever produced. It's, it's very popular. Let me just explain what this is and a little commercial for it. But the Ipure Papyrus was written by an unknown name, uh, unknown poet whose name was Ipure. And what he's doing, this dates back to the time of the Exodus. Uh, we're not exactly sure of the year, but it's somewhere around 1400, 1450 BC, somewhere in there, which according to the Bible, that's when the Exodus would have taken place, the whole uh, first Passover and stuff. Ipure 
is an unknown person in history, but he was a poet. And he wrote a poem, which you see here on papyrus, and in this he's describing what he is witnessing happening to his land. All these plagues. Now, he never mentions Moses by name, but he talks about all of these plagues, like the Nile turning to blood, infestation of locusts, hailstorms, darkness for three days, death of the firstborn, how slaves plundered the wealth of of uh, Egypt as they went back uh, or went into the, the, the wilderness and stuff. Everything fitting perfectly with what the, what the Bible says. It's phenomenal. A great discovery here showing you that not just do we have the biblical account, we have a, a non-Christian source, a non-Hebrew source who's telling us he's witnessing this in his own nation, the, the utter despair and how Egypt is going to ruin. Um, another character study that you could look at um, that we see in the Bible is this place. This is up at Tel Dan. This is where that first item I talked about where the, um, the stone bearing the house of David was found just a short walking distance from where this picture is. This is the remains of a temple or a high place found in the Bible. As a matter of fact, this place is mentioned in 1 Kings 13, that there was a King Jeroboam I who rebelled against uh, Solomon's son, Rehoboam, led a coup, and the, the kingdom of Israel split into the northern kingdom and the, the kingdom of Judah. He was the leader of the northern kingdom. And as it goes on, he wanted to make a place so people wouldn't have to go to the temple in Jerusalem to worship. He made a place at Bethel, which is just north of Jerusalem, and another place for people up north that they could go to worship God, and that was at Tel Dan. And he built a golden calf there. This is the remains of that structure. And there's artifacts and stuff that have been found here, um, incense burning, uh, devices and instruments and um, shovels and stuff to shovel uh, the ash from sacrifices. It was all here. And they discovered this, and this was built by King Jeroboam I, just as it's mentioned in 1 Kings. And uh, one more, just let me show you one more thing, because we're about out of time on this little popcorn thing of archaeology. This is one of my favorite things. There's three of these actually in existence. One is in Jerusalem. One is in the University of Chicago at the Oriental Institute. This is called Sennacherib's Prism. It's a large clay um, monument, a stella, that, that is very large in it, recording history of the Assyrian Empire. And specifically, King Sennacherib, who's mentioned frequently in the Bible um, at the time of trying to destroy Judah. And uh, he conquers Lachish and other things, but he attacks Jerusalem, but he never conquers Jerusalem. According to the Bible, you can read the story in 2 Kings 18 and 19. It's a phenomenal story and miracle how God saved Jerusalem from the Assyrians under King Sennacherib. They had just conquered Lachish to the west of Jerusalem, which was the most powerful and most and best protected city of, of all the kingdom of Judah. And Sennacherib conquered it in a long conquest. It was a bloody contest, um, but he won this, this city. And now he is attacking Jerusalem. He surrounds it, but he never defeats it because it says that the angel of the Lord Hezekiah called out to God, got the prophet Isaiah. They both are praying to God. God grants their request. He even says, they will not shoot one arrow into this city. Though it's surrounded, they will not conquer this city. I promise you is what God says. I will drive him back home. This stella, this large monument, talks about how Sennacherib conquered the other cities, but Jerusalem, he surrounded. He never conquered it. And then he left it. 
because something seemed to happen to his army. Well, he's not going to write his army was totally wiped out um, mysteriously. Some historians say it was probably bubonic plague. We don't know what device God used to destroy the army, but it was destroyed. That surrounded it says 185,000 Assyrians were killed by a mighty miracle of God an angel of death came into the Assyrian camp that night and slaughtered him we just know that Sennacherib never did conquer Jerusalem exactly as the Bible says how cool is that and that he would go back home and he did go back home and he was killed by his sons all this is recorded in the Bible it's so cool it actually all took place so I hope you've enjoyed these little series here. And oh my gosh, there's so much stuff we could go into more, but we just don't have the time. Um, and on our Easter trip, we just didn't have the time either, but there are so many things. Please check out our website for other things on archeology span and evidence for the Bible. Uh, our, uh, the books we have, the Stones Bear Witness, more Stones Bear Witness. You can get more details and stuff on this. We're gonna be doing more in this series, but I hope this is really added to your faith. I hope you realize the Bible is true. History supports it. I don't know why we don't hear about this more on the news. Um, we get many people trying to talk that the Bible's not real, that you can't trust it and everything. Well, listen, the science of archaeology really supports the Bible. As I said at the beginning, there's not, there has not been even one provable archaeological discovery that disproves the Bible. For tens of thousands of artifacts do support the Bible, and new discoveries every day keep supporting that the Bible is true. So thanks for joining. I hope you tune in for our, some more of our lessons on Evidence for Faith and the last lesson in this series on Give Me a Reason to Believe, because in this one, I hope I just gave you a reason to believe through archaeology. The Bible is real. God is real. Jesus is the Messiah and the only way to get to heaven. So until we meet again, take care and may God bless. Thanks for tuning in, and thank you to our donors who make this program possible. Evidence for Faith is a 501c3 nonprofit ministry based in the USA. You can support this broadcast by donating online using the links in the description. And don't forget to leave us a comment, a review, likes, and shares to feed the algorithm and help others find this content. Thanks again, and we'll see you on the next episode.